read a passage from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 19. It's the very end of chapter 19. Um, It says this, After these things, that is, after Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Friends, this is the word of God. You know, sometimes we don't realize what we need until it's taken away. Um, I think there was a very powerful example of that just this past week with the burning of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Uh, You know, a lot of people are offering their take on what happened, and I don't mean to suggest that my take is the only take or even the best take. But I I was very moved by a picture I saw of um, Parisians watching the fire burn Um, Some of them were on their knees. A couple of them had rosaries hanging from their hands. One of them had earbuds hanging from his hands as though he had just been stopped mid-bike ride and stopped to watch the fire. Uh, Many of them were young people. One of them was openly weeping, but all of them had a look of profound grief and loss and pain on their faces. And I don't know these people. I certainly don't know what they believe, but as I looked at the picture, I couldn't help but remember the reality that France is one of the most deeply secular countries in the world. So it's very possible that um, many of these people on their knees, if you had asked them just a few hours earlier, what do you think about God or Jesus or the church, they very possibly would have said, well, I don't really think about it. Sometimes the grief and the loss and the pain of losing something beautiful, something that um, we always took for granted would be there, it, it reconnects us to something we didn't know how much we needed it until it was taken away from us. And as sad as that is, um, it can be a gift. It can really change us. And I think that something like that is happening in this story that I just read to you. There are really only two characters in this story, um, or I should say only two living characters. Jesus is here, but he's a corpse. So everything that's happening in this story is a response to the death of Jesus. They're wrapping the body. They're putting it in the tomb. In other words, in this story, death is calling the shots, darkness is winning, and injustice is ruling the day. And you don't have to think about it very long to realize that it's not just this story, it's our lives. It's this world. Death, loss, darkness, and injustice are either on your doorstep right now, or they've got your address, and they will be stopping by shortly. But at some point, these things affect every single one of us. Which means the big question is, how do you respond to that? And I mean you personally. How do you respond to death and loss, and darkness, and injustice. 
In the brief time we have together this evening, um, I want to look at how the death of Jesus transformed these two men, Joseph and Nicodemus. Because when we see what happened to them, the same thing can happen to us too. How does the death of Jesus change them? And how can it change you? Well, let's walk through the story and find out. First, who were these guys? The other Gospels tell us that they were very wealthy. Um, We also know that they were religious leaders. Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. These were powerful, wealthy, elite men. But there's one other thing you really need to know about them that's probably the most important thing at all. And John, the gospel writer, really highlights it in this passage. In verse 38, when we get introduced to Joseph, it tells us that he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. That's the religious leaders. And then in verse 39, um, we meet Nicodemus, but in reality, we've already met him before in the Gospel of John. He shows up back in chapter 3 when he went to talk to Jesus and have a conversation with him. But in verse 39, John reminds us that when Nicodemus went to meet Jesus, he did it at night. The point is simple. Both of these guys were following Jesus, but in secret. They didn't want anyone else to know. And it makes sense. I mean, you know, they had a lot at stake. Not only were they both really wealthy, um, they were members of the inner ring of the religious leaders who were opposing Jesus. So following Jesus publicly out in the open like that, uh, it would have been like a death to them. It would have meant the loss of everything they thought really mattered, their wealth, their power, their status in the inner ring. And the same thing is true for us today. We live in a world that says, here's what really matters. Get noticed. Get ahead. Get wealth. Get power. Get status. Get possessions. Get pleasure. And above all, um, get in touch with your true self and express it. Get free from any kind of externally imposed and therefore oppressive identities or obligations. We live in a world that puts enormous pressure on us to protect those things. But here's Joseph and Nicodemus, and they've been completely transformed. First of all, they've become incredibly fearless. You know, if it was dangerous following Jesus before, it's really dangerous now. Jesus has just been executed for blasphemy and treason against the state. All of his disciples are in hiding. And yet, here comes Joseph. He goes marching into Pilate's headquarters, and he demands the body. Nicodemus brings spices, and then they start wrapping the body up in open public for everybody to see. They've lost their fear of what people think. They, they don't care anymore. They, instead of protecting their power and their status, they're using those things to honor Jesus. They've become fearless. But secondly, they've become radically generous. You know, um, back in John chapter 12, Mary, the sister of Martha, um, she brings one pound of expensive ointment to anoint Jesus. And we're told there that that was worth close to a year's wages. One pound. Nicodemus brings 75 pounds. This is a fortune of money. It's a burial fit for a king. But thirdly, not only have they become incredibly um, fearless and radically generous, there's a new humility in their lives. It's really interesting. If you read the other Gospels, um, you find out that the women that were at the cross uh, were all standing there watching Joseph and Nicodemus as they wrapped Jesus' body in prayer. Um, prepared it for burial. 
Now, the amazing thing is, and, and it's not apparent to us because we don't live in that culture, but in that culture, that would have been considered women's work. To handle a dead body, to prepare it for burial like that is something that no man would do and certainly no wealthy, powerful, dignified community leader like that. They would never have done that. And yet here's Joseph and Nicodemus and they're doing it. They don't snap their fingers. They don't whistle the women over and say, hey, you come and do this. They're doing it in front of the women. They are completely transformed. They've lost their fear. They've lost their need for power, status, and control and wealth. They, um, they're committed to a new life of humility and justice so that instead of demanding that people lower in society serve them, now they're serving others. They're completely transformed. But here's the question, why? What has happened to them? Well, look at Nicodemus. As I mentioned, the first time he shows up in the Gospel of John is back in chapter 3 when he went to talk to Jesus in the middle of the night and have a conversation with him about God. And one of the first things Jesus said to him was, you must be born again. Now, when we hear that phrase, born again, we have to do a lot of work um, to put away all the cultural and political baggage that comes along with that phrase, born again. When we hear that phrase, we think of certain types of people, maybe people who are emotionally fragile and need some kind of experience, or people who are um, really messed up and need some kind of healing, or people who are like uptight and rigid and need some kind of moral, religious structure in their lives. But you look at Nicodemus and you realize he's none of those things. He's already got religion. He's a Pharisee. He's already morally upright, all kinds of moral goodness. He's not a mess. He's not emotionally erratic. He's a dignified community leader. He's got his life together. And yet Jesus tells him, you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. In other words, Jesus is saying, you need spiritual transformation. You need spiritual renewal. All of your moral goodness, all of your virtue, all of your uh, ethical integrity, you think that because of all of that, you're better than other people, and, 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 you, and God should be pleased with you. Your moral goodness is really a way of keeping away from God because it's a pride that says you don't need God. Friends, the really amazing thing about the gospel is it shows us there are really two ways of being lost. One of them is to be really messed up and breaking all the rules, the other one is to be like Nicodemus, to have it all together and to be keeping all the rules. But both of those things are signs of deep spiritual alienation from God. Because both of those things are ways of keeping God at arm's length. Nicodemus was using his moral goodness as a way of stiff-arming God. Yes, he probably would have looked at the idea of, of forgiveness and salvation. That probably would have been conceptually real to him, but it wasn't personally real. He could probably have said, yes, we all need that, but he couldn't say, I need that, until he saw Jesus on the cross. That was the point of impact. That was when everything Jesus said became really real to him. That was the moment that was the beginning of his spiritual renewal and yours. Because remember our question, how do you respond to the death and the evil and the darkness that's in this world? You have to see that it's not that just that there's evil and darkness in this world, it's in us. And that the reason there's evil and darkness in this world is because 
we're in the world. It's because we're in the world. When you see that, and, and only when you see that, can spiritual renewal become really possible for you. And the ultimate place you see that is on the cross of Jesus Christ. All the way back at the beginning of the gospel, um, when John the Baptist first sees Jesus walking by, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now that word, take away, in the original language, it's just one word. It's a word that is very important in the Gospel of John. It comes up over and over again. And one of the most important places that word take away comes up is at the very end when the crowd is crying out for Pilate to crucify Jesus. They say, take him away, take him away. Here's the question. How does Jesus take away the sins of the world? By being taken away. By being taken away. Friends, what is going to change you? I mean, really change you. What's going to turn you into people of, of, of fearlessness and generosity and, um, and humility and justice? You have to see that Jesus was taken away for you. There is nothing more life-changing than the power of sacrificial love. So when Joseph and Nicodemus saw the devotion of Jesus for them on the cross, that turned them into people of devotion for Jesus because devotion begets devotion. Sacrifice begets sacrifice. Love begets love. So one of the really interesting things to me this past week is in light of um, Notre Dame burning, a lot of people pointed out, hey, you know, there are three black churches in the South that were burned to the ground last month because of somebody setting fire to them. It was an act of arson. And nobody's paying attention to that until now. And it's not right. It shouldn't be like this. But the, the loss that was endured at Notre Dame actually helped people pay attention to what had happened at those three churches in the South so that the last time I looked, over $2 million had been raised to help rebuild those churches. Devotion begets devotion. Sacrifice begets sacrifice. Love begets love. But you have to know, and I mean really know in the depths of your being that Jesus was taken away for you that he was taken away for you. Because when Joseph and Nicodemus um, took Jesus' body, what did they do with it? In verse 38, it says twice, they took it away. It was taken away. But it wasn't just Jesus' physical body. All of your sin, all of your darkness, Jesus bore it in his body and he took it away with him and buried it in the tomb. Do you see Jesus taking away all of your sin for you? For you. Do you see him doing that? Do you see him taking away your sin, your darkness, your shame, your pride, your fear, bearing it in his body and taking it away and burying it with him in the tomb and destroying all of its power over you? The more you see him taken away for you like that, the more you see that, the more you let it impact your heart, the more that renews you, the more that makes you like Jesus, and the more that makes you a vessel of the same life and renewal to the world around you. You know, Joseph and Nicodemus had no way of knowing at that moment when they buried Jesus, at that moment of greatest darkness, that even then, the gift of Jesus' death had imparted a life and a light into their lives that was making them vessels of the same light and life to the world around them. They had no way of knowing. But if it could do that for them, how much more could it do the same thing for you if you see him taken away? Let's pray.